You're listening to Berlin Psychoanalytic Podcast. Psychoanalysts should not use projective identification with Dr. Leon Brenner. Oh, don't even get me started about projective identification. Okay, projective identification, highly complex concept, has been erratically interpreted in many different ways, has been unforgivably oversimplified, acquiring at a certain point a certain mystique which carries it over into the realm of the occult. Today I will provide a rudimentary account of the concept and try to explain why I think that it should not be used by psychoanalysts. So where do we start? Melanie Klein originally coined the term in 1946 in her paper Notes on Some Schizoid Mechanisms. According to Klein, projective identification is a psychological process that is relevant to the early paranoid schizoid position in the development of an infant. Now, while being in this position, uh, what we may call bad parts of the self are sometimes split off and projected onto another person in an effort to protect the self. For example, an infant's aggressive, self-destructive urges will be projected onto the mother and attributed to the mother. Now, two things are important to note about Klein's notion of projective identification. The first, and this is crucially important, Klein does not argue in any way that the aggressive urges the infant's projects are actually transferred to the mother herself. According to Klein, they remain part of the infant's view of the mother. Two, Klein argues that the confusional states, such as projective identification, normally disappear after working through the depressive position in the second half of the first year of the life of an infant. Now, this means that for Klein, Projective identification remains relevant only to psychotic adults and is not so relevant to neurotic adults. Up to now, everything is good. And while it seems that Klein's theory doesn't really add anything new to Freud's account of projection in cases of paranoia, she does actually attribute it to a specific position an infant takes in the first months of his or her life and remains consistent when doing so. However, things changed drastically with Wilfred Dion, who was very much involved with the development of the concept of projective identification. Well, he goes beyond Klein in many ways, uh, making projective identification one of the most important forms of interaction between analyst and analysant. Uh, this development is based on a crucial theoretical leap uh, in which one does not describe projective identification in terms of the fantasy in the mind of the infant, but as an actual manipulation of the parent's being, through which an actual psychic element is inserted into the mind of the parent. This is a transmission of aggression, for example, that actually turns the mother into an aggressive mother. Now, in terms of the process of psychoanalysis, Dion uh, suggests that analysts function as a container, a repository for an the analysis projections. 
that is uh, sort of a, a passive object into which the analysand can choose to entrust anything he or she sees fit. Now, during training analysis, the analyst has, a, has to acquire a strong enough personality to contain these projections and integrate them. And by identifying with the analyst, these integrated projections are made safe for their investigation and re-internalization uh, by the analysand. How far does Beyond actually take the notion of projective identification? I would venture to say too far, arguably or not. Uh, however, it is quite evident that his followers have stretched and flattened this notion to such an extent that its Kleinian roots remain today unrecognizable. In its heterogeneous formulations, it has come to be commonly described as a defense mechanism through which unconscious qualities that are unknown to the self are projected outwards and forced onto another person's mind, who internalizes them and believes himself or herself to be characterized by them. So how is projective identification used in these kind of therapy? Well, by allowing the patient to project his or her unconscious onto the therapist, who can then possess them, the well-trained therapist is first expected to separate him or herself from the internalized projected unconscious of the patient and to experience it, process it, and finally integrate it. Now, this integrated unconscious is then communicated back to the patient in a processed form so that the patient could benefit from its integration. Now, it is a known fact that most humans are attentive to the affective states of others. Uh, we normally share the joy uh, of a good friend, or we cry at a sign of the hardship of a loved one. And this is what we call empathy, an attempt to understand and share the feelings of others. However, there is a clear distinction between the analyst's capacity to empathize with his or her analysand and what is sometimes called in science fiction an empath. Now, if you're savvy with the sci-fi jargon, which I very much appreciate, an empath is a person with the paranormal ability to directly perceive the mental or emotional states of others. In the terrific sci-fi show called Star Trek The Next Generation, we have a uh, excellent example for that, uh, the uh, Starship Enterprise luckily has hired an empath as a psychological counselor. This is Counselor Troy. But Freud, which distinguished the science of psychoanalysis from the fiction, had directly noted that whatever information the analyst receives from his or her analysand has to be mediated in one way or another. Being the talking cure, in psychoanalysis, this mediating form is language. Now, it seems to me that what is today commonly described as projective identification relies more on the notion of an empath rather than of empathy on what psychoanalyst René Spitz uh, called a quasi-telepathic communication of ideas, 
or in other words, the notion of a message with no medium. Now, one can argue that language is not always spoken, and in a way, this is true. We also communicate with others using body language. Uh, it is common to feel stressed while you're in the same room with a person that keeps shaking his leg, or yawn when another person is yawning. But other than in very limited cases, none of these non-verbal forms of communication entail the immediate transmission of knowledge from one person to another. In a limited amount of cases, they might entail a very simple reaction, uh, like what uh, is called yawning contagion. But any attribution of a more complex meaning to these nonverbal forms of communication requires an interpretation that is based on one's perspective and a set of previously agreed-upon cultural and symbolic circumstances. So, even when considered on the level of nonverbal communication, projective identification cannot be said to transmit any form of knowledge that could be useful for the progress of an analysis. But let's get back to empathy. So, empathy entails a conscious and intentional shift in perspective, that is done in the aim of understanding the thoughts, feelings, decisions, and so on, that someone experiences under certain circumstances. But many empathy scholars differentiate between two types of empathy. An in-his-shoes type of perspective shifting, and a more empathic form of perspective shifting. The first entails shifting your perspective and imagining what thoughts, feelings, decisions, and so on you would arrive at if you were in the other's circumstances. So we see that in this form of empathy, you bring in your own baggage and you weigh the circumstances using your own set of biases. In this sense, when the situation is simple, you might hit the right spot when trying to guess what the other person is thinking. The Sally-Ann test is a famous psychological test that attempts to measure such empathic success in uh, very simple circumstances. Now, when the circumstances one faces become more difficult and complex, this kind of empathy usually fails in predicting the behavior and actions of other people. The second type of empathy entails something else. It entails imagining being the other person and thereby actually sharing in his or her thoughts, feelings, decisions, and other aspects of their psychology. I would like to argue that not only is this form of empathy impossible to perform, that is, no one can actually be an other person and know what they are thinking, Anyone claiming to do so would necessarily have to usurp the other's subjectivity and force their own subjective outlook onto the other. Accordingly, even if we consider projective identification as being based on the analyst's empathy, when we associate it with perspective-shifting empathy, we cannot assume that it entails an empathic access to the perspective of the other. In the worst cases, an analysis based on an empathic form of perspective shifting will force on the analysis the contours of the personality and experience of the analyst, 
replicating the analyst person in the analysand, crushing the latter subjectivity and singular mode of desiring. It might, at the best of cases, entail an in-his-shoes form of perspective shifting, which will not provide direct access to the analysand's thoughts, and might be the basis for a lucky guess here and there on matters that are extremely simplistic and not so subjective. Most of the time, it will lead to what Jacques Lacan calls judgments that are based on the sum total of the analyst's biases, passions, and difficulties, and even of his inadequate information at any given moment in the dialectical process. This, Lacan says, is the price of using counter-transference in directing the treatment. It leads to a wild analysis. What is even more puzzling about the contemporary notion of projective identification is that it is said to transmit unconscious knowledge that is unknown to the analysant in any way. In other words, uh, projective identification is said to entail a transmission of unconscious knowledge that the patient itself does not know. Now, this argument goes beyond the quasi-telepathy model, as this model at least entails a certain active communication on behalf of the anal analysant. What do we have here uh, other than a communication of a non-knowledge, an absence that presumably is captured by no medium? It seems to me that whatever analysts thinks they, are, they pick up in the psychoanalytic ether should probably be chopped up to forcing the analyst's counter-transference onto the analysant's transference. So, what are we left with? Well, we have Klein's notion of projective identification that doesn't go much further than Freud's account of projection in cases of psychosis. Otherwise, we are left with a notion that basically betrays the scientific rigor of Freud's psychoanalysis on so many levels. Uh, all in all, I feel that the contemporary proponents of projective identification have a certain responsibility to answer some questions before we can take them seriously. For instance, how can a complex emotion and thought be split off from the psyche of one person and transmitted into another's in a quasi-telepathic way? Moreover, how can these thoughts and emotions be interpreted by the analyst in a non-mediated way and then transposed back to the analysant. And finally, can we really be sure that directing an analysis on the basis of these feelings and thoughts uh, acquired by the analyst uh, are, is not just a dangerous practice of wishful thinking? Well, with the lack of good answers to these questions, I feel that projective identification remains today in the domain of magical thinking that Freud associated with infantile psyche and the ceremonies and rituals of theological and primal origin. So, until we've been provided with convincing answers, I suggest that analysts should not presume to think what the analysant is thinking or even argue that they should be feeling that or wanting to feel it. Uh, it would be preferable 
to be interested in the analysis speech, suspending their judgment and putting their own perspective and understanding at rest. Thank you for listening. For more content, subscribe to our podcast or find us on our YouTube channel. Psychoanalysis should be free.